You guys have a good week? Yeah? Well, thank you all for, for being here today. It's, it's always a joy to, to be able to, to sing to the Lord, you know, to, uh, as the book of Colossians says, to, you know, dwell richly in the words of Christ and then to encourage one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? And that is what we are here for. For the uh, the edification of the saints, right? And we in Sunday school today we went through with the kids on, you know, what are what are some names that God calls us, right? We all have a name, right? You know, holy and beloved are the two that we went through. That in in Christ, in the beloved, we are beloved by God. We are holy and set apart. You know, that's an amazing blessing in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We live in this awesome connected world, right? We can we can hear of things happening in minutes, if not seconds, from them taking place. And I was uh, talking to one gentleman, uh, James, over at the Walmart in Falcon. We've become really good friends through the oil change years. And uh, you know, I was telling him the other day, it's like it's so easy to hear the bad news right away. You know, this bomb happened, that shooting happened. It's so easy to focus in on that stuff, right? You know, because that's all the news wants to do. Drama, you know, Dateline, NBC, everything wants to shock and awe you, right? And and have you glued to the TV of what's going to happen next. You know, and it's like, no, we need to fix upon what the Lord has done. And uh, he's a believer. We've had some really good conversations. He's like, amen, right? <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting that, you know, from one side of the world to the next, we can hear about one thing happening to another. But we are very connected in our social media age. You know, we can have friends from all over. I have I have friends from since I had Facebook, you know, and I don't know anything about them now, but I still see their pictures and what's happening in their lives and it's it's a good thing. You know, it actually it actually points to something uh it reach backs it reaches back all the way to the book of Genesis when the Lord God said this is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. See, right there in that statement, we know and understand that we are made for relationships. Because matter of fact, we are made in the image of God himself, who is whole and wholesome and in nature, because he has three persons in one nature. He has always had fellowship. It's amazing. We are formed and framed by him, as it states in Genesis again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, we are made to be with God. And apart from him is only death. We are made to be in relationship with him. We are made to be in relationship with one another. And apart from that is only conflict and confusion. Today in the in First John we see that John is writing to the church to abide in Christ because in Christ alone we are redeemed and we are able to go about being about what God has created us to be. Let's uh, open in a word of prayer before turning in the scripture. Father God, we we thank you for today. We thank you that 
when there's sunshine and birds singing, we can praise you. And we thank you that even though the, the fog is thick and the road is dark and we don't know which way to go, that we can praise you. That we can choose in Christ to put on love, to put on patience and kindness and tenderheartedness and meekness and that we can richly dwell in the word of Christ and that we can praise you in the storms and we can praise you in the gentle, uh, gentle seas. Lord, be with us in this time as we, we have this opportunity to, to look upon your word and to study it together. And rid us of all of our distractions of what's happened this last week and what's going to happen this week, Lord, and all of our fears of the future. And let us choose that no matter what comes down our way, that we would praise you and that we would know that you are working all things together for good for those that love you. And that when we see you face to face, we'll know that all of the things that have happened throughout this life are but a vapor and a mist, a mist. And that we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I thank you for this time, Lord. Encourage us and equip us with your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, please uh, turn in your Bibles with me to First, First John chapter 2. I'm going to be in uh, 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 26 uh, through 29. And these are some really cool verses. I'm like, oh, only three verses, right? It's like, it's a lot. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. John has, uh, as we say in our household, dropped some truth bombs here. <laughs> he states this. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. I love this, because John is kind of like taking a step back and he's He's going to give his readers and listeners the reasons, the reason why he has been drawing these big, bold lines between the body of Christ and the world. Even as we saw last week, he drew the biggest, boldiest line of them all, confessing the Son or not, right? That's the line between us and the world. The truth that he brings to bear now is this. That there are those that are trying to deceive you. So John writes to, to warn the church, to urge the church to abide in the Son of God. 
Now think of it as, as a lamp, right? You know, a lamp has a stand, it has a, I'll call it a shade rim. I was like, what do you call those things that, you know, they, they, they shade the, the light bulb so the light doesn't blind you, it gives you light, right? You know, the, so just the shade, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, but shade rim sounded cool. You know, I was like, you know, and, and you have the light bulb and then there's these wires that run through it, run through the lamp stand. And then there's this, this cord. All of that does not work if the cord is not plugged in. The lamp will give no light. The light bulb can sure as well be replaced. The stand can be repaired. The wires can be rerun. And even the cord can have a fresh coat of paint. But nothing has ever changed of that needing a source of power, of it to be plugged in. It needs to be connected in order to work and to work rightly. We, the church, the body of Christ, will not work or work rightly if we are not plugged in to the Lord, abiding in him, for he is the source of life and grace and mercy and truth. John starts like this in verse 26. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. See, John, like many other writers of the New Testament, do not want the believers in Christ to be unaware that this world is full of ideas, worldviews, and isms that take people captive, take a host of people captive, and those people are about getting the message out. Those people are the messengers of falsehood. Literally, as John has talked about, those are antichrist messages. You know, one is that they scoff. And Peter actually warns of this. Peter says, knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. I like how the Bible just cuts it cleared on the road, right? It's, it's not about, you know, we're just looking for gray areas or, or anything. It's like, no, we have not come for the truth. But we have come for a willingness to be about our own sinful desires. That's the end game. That's what they want. It always stands out that the word of God is timeless and timely, right? Because how does that describe our age? Very clearly, that people want to live in their own sinful desires. And therefore, they will stand against the truth in order to be lovers of self. What John is pointing out that those, uh, those captives are about deceiving believers. And maybe not consciously, right? You know, those are false teachers are consciously doing it. But, but the world itself is about wanting to lead the church into it. And, and that's why John has talked about don't love the world or the things of the world. So John wants to inform them so they know how to come combat this. In verse 27, he goes on stating, But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it, just as it has taught you. Abide in him. You know, 
The life of a believer in Christ is about starting and staying with Jesus. First, we believe upon him and are justified. And then as we walk with him in the here and now, it is about our, our daily sanctification. And lastly, we look forward to the day where we enter into glory with him. And we'll be with him because we will be like him. You know, it points to like what I what has been called or I've heard called the, the three folds of, of salvation, right? You know, I've I've said it before that if we misunderstand how salvation works, we kind of, you know, misinterpret verses and have a lot of confusion within church history. But how, how salvation works is at first is justification, right? Justification is about the penalty of sin. Right? It is finished, and therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Right? It's done, signed, sealed, delivered, and we await. And then just, uh, sorry, then sanctification is about our walk, our walk away from the power of sin in our lives. The Eatston eats <laughs> Bible Dictionary uh, defines it like this. I, I really enjoyed this uh, this definition of sanctification involves more than a mere mortal reformation of character brought about the power of truth. It is the working of the Holy Spirit to bring the whole nature more and more under the influence of the new gracious principles implanted in the soul at regeneration. I'm like, that is a cool definition. Right, it's like what Paul says in Philippians, he who has began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of the Lord. Right, it's something planted that when regeneration happens, when that takes place, when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit and you're sealed in Christ. It's amazing. It's, a, it's an onward process, right? Onward Christian soldier, right? further in and further up. And now, in that state, as we await glorification, we walk in the light. Now, please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six will be in verses uh, nine through eleven. Paul writes this: Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived; neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God glad Paul doesn't stop there, right? He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. And we should know this, that God's standard will stand against all, against all 
humans that are their own little deities to old cultures that think they're their own little deities to old governments that think that they're their own rulers. He will stand and his standard will stand against all of humanity's wants to be lovers of self. Right? Even in Psalm 2, it's like, let us cast their bonds away, seeking freedom. And what does the Lord do? He mocks them. He laughs at them and holds them in desertion in his wrath. Because only in him will we live. Only in God, because we're created in his image. And that's where we belong. Everything else is out of place and not where we should be. The truth is, is that judgment will come for all. As the author of Hebrews states it, it says it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We are all on our way to face our maker. The question is, is do we know him and are we known by him? I like how Paul says that in the book of Galatians, is that you knew God and, and he knows you. Why are you seeking other things? Right, because the Galatians had gone off course. We need to be known by him and we need to know him. And this is the cool thing is that is why exactly Jesus appeared once and for all. It was appointed that he would be the sacrifice for sin once and for all. So if we place our trust in him, if we rest our whole weight upon the finished work of Christ on the cross, then as Paul has said, we are washed, we are sanctified and justified in his name. You know, the Holy Spirit is third person of the Trinity. And he comes upon believers in Christ. And in that, we are born from above, we are born again. He is the, the helper that seals us we are indwelt by him and he bears witness about Christ Jesus. He will teach us all things and bring all things into remembrance that Jesus has said and we who have the spirit belong to Christ. You know, the amazing truth of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the believer is that he's the one that has inspired these words and he's the one that is giving us what is called illumination. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit that is taking place every time you read the scripture. That we would know what it says and that he would lead us into truth. Talking about inspiration, Peter tells us this. In his second letter, he says, knowing this first of all, and no prophecy of the Spirit comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You know, it kind of gives you that almost Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy standard of, well, you know they're false if it doesn't come to be, so you, you, you can kill them now, right? You don't listen to them. You, you cast them off because they are false. You know, the amazing truth of it is one of my uh, Bible teachers back in uh, Frontier said it this way, you know, the canon is a canon because it's the canon, right? And not a canon that you like, you know, shoot at the enemy, but the canon of scripture, right? It's spelled differently. <laughs> you know, we, 
it took me a while to think about it like that. Like, what, what does he mean? And, and kind of just munched on it for a while. As the cool thing is that the scripture is not from some church council picking and choosing of, of what books ought to be in it. And, oh, this one sounds good. And that one's, that one's great too. And, you know, that's my favorite. Oh, that's junk. Throw it out. You know, and it just, it's not true. But it's something that is widely believed, thanks to Dan Brown and, and others. You know, they've done their work. But there are amazing books on the subject of, of showing that this is actually the truth. That it is recognizing Scripture as Scripture. That's what those church councils saw, and even before the church councils took place, is that these books, not others, had been produced by the will of God. That these books stood out. So we should know them. We should be in them. And if you have any questions of that subject, it's an amazing. I, I love that subject, so I have tons of books on it if you want to read one or two or three. You know, <laughs> I have small ones and big ones too, so you can choose. But we should know the Word. We should know the breathed out Word of God so we can, we can know Him, we can abide in Him. You know, I, I like how John says, no one has to teach you, but then he, he prefaces that with, but he teaches you, right? You know, it's not, oh, I've arrived. I'm in Jesus and so no one has to teach me, right? You know, I wish that were the truth, right? <laughs> but that kind of comes to the question of like, why aren't we just, you know, instantaneously in heaven? It's like, no, why, you know, why are we here and why have we not arrived yet? It's like, no, we're in the, you know, now, or sorry, <laughs> we're in the, we have it, but we're still waiting process you know in Christ Jesus we should think we shouldn't think that we've ever arrived until we see him face to face we should be about knowing what is true struggling with temptation and walking in the walking with the Lord through it all the word is what we need for the journey as the author of Hebrews states it it says for the word is the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow, and of the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to give to, to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And that is why we start and stay with Jesus. That is why we start and stay with the standard of the Lord with his spoken out word to humanity, showing us our sins and showing us his great love for us. Now John continues in, in verse 28. He says this, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. You know, there's rules in any household, right? Right, parents? Yep, you got, you got boundaries. You got, hey, don't cross that line. Don't do this. You know, there are rules for any household. And if we follow the rules, there are blessings. 
be that toys, ice cream, hey, a day with no timeouts. You know, we got one. <laughs> day without incidents, one. Yeah, yeah, let's make it to two. <laughs> you know, in any household, there are consequences for disobedience. No treats, no screen time, and getting sent to our rooms. Oh man, you know. This is written to little children, right? It's one of those phrases that John uses five or six times throughout the book. Because he's talking to the church as a loving father to the little children of the Lord's house. That those that have received Christ, those that are born from above because they have placed their trust in Jesus, in the Son of God, now they, the whomsoever, are a part of the household. The church is, is told to abide, right? To, to not just have justification and, oh, I'm, I'm good, but to have communion with God. To be plugged in to the source of light and life. John does this encouragingly. He points to the day. He points to the day when Jesus appears and asks the question. I, I love this question. I've heard it several times uh, throughout my journey. But when Jesus comes in his glory, what will you be found doing? It's like, ooh, that's, that's a good one. Will we be living for ourselves or will we be fighting against sin? Will we be looking forward to it or will we be full of shame? Because of being of a household and being little children, we know this, as Paul states, that when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And no matter what happens in the here and now, there is hope for the believer. Hope beyond hope, right? Hope beyond hope and change or any ad campaign can offer us. Hope that whoever abides in him will have their life appear. That is why in Colossians we're, we're called to put to death what is earthly in ourselves. This is a great question before the body of Christ. Is, is that what John starts with, the first measuring rod, is their joy. He, he almost points back to it as, look at all the joy of the first appearing, now look forward to the second appearing. Because they're appointed, right? We didn't know the day here and we don't know the day here. So let's stop guessing about this one and let's concentrate on the here and now and how do we live for Jesus. <coughs> we should look forward to the coming of the Lord with joy. Uh, please turn in your Bibles with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three, uh, verses nine through fifteen. Paul writes to the church of Corinth here, and he says, "For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building, according to the grace of God given to me. Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation." And someone else is building upon it. 
Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now this is an interesting passage because Paul has been talking to the church in Corinth, telling them to stop being of the flesh, right? He actually starts in, in that first chapter, in chapter 3, he says, you know, I've meant to write to you, but I, I cannot because you are of the flesh. And, you know, he has to deal with other situations before he goes on because they have all these divisions among them of, you know, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, I'm with Peter, well, I'm with Jesus. Those are the holy people. <laughs> and, you know, and it's all this division and everything and this fighting. And Paul brings it out and states this, is that we are all fellow workers. Stop it, right? <laughs> Stop. Stop fighting and notice this. Look at this, it's growth. And no matter the workers, no matter who's here tending or tending there or doing this or that, it is all about the growth of believers upon the foundation that is Christ Jesus. I think sometimes Paul writing in those prisons, he always had the perspective of the extra mile. And not just the one in front of him, but the one coming. <laughs> and uh, it's a great perspective to have. Because... Because having perspective on the future, as John is pointing the church to, is, is having a perspective of, well, how do I work to get there well? Right? It's, it's not you know, how you started, but it's how you finished that matters. You know, it is all about the growth of believers upon the foundation that is in Christ Jesus, and we need to take care on how we build upon, upon such foundation because what we place before the Lord will be judged. I love how, how Paul says that each one's work will become manifest. Everything we have done, everything we have said, everything we have prayed, you know, even how John has talked about treating you know, members of the household and those outside of the household will be disclosed. It will all be shown. And if anything placed upon the foundation survives, that believer will be rewarded. And if nothing survives, it will be burned up. The believer will, will enter heaven, but only as through fire. So the, the question comes is, are we abiding in the Lord? Are, are we plugged into the source of light and life and truth and grace and mercy? Are we, are we serving him and others with our gifts, our time, our energy, and all the blessings that he has poured out upon us? I think that's why John so pointedly says, don't love the world or the things of the world, because it's very easy to get in that, that flow and that flux. It's, it's a part of the culture that we're a part of. Is, you know, it's me, it's mine, it's, it's the great 
I am is, is the human. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not. It's him. He is the great I am. And that is why we need to cling to the one who is able to keep us from stumbling in the here and now. And the one who looks forward to the day with joy to present us before the Father with great joy. Right, you know, the book of Hebrews and the book of Jude talk about the joy of Jesus in such an amazing, marvelous light of like he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before him. Jude talks about the joy as well. It's presenting ungodly sinners to the holy God of the universe through himself. That's the joy of Jesus, is that we have been washed, sanctified, and cleansed by his blood, and we're able to approach the Lord of glory through him. When John ends this section in verse 29, he says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. John hands the church another measuring rod. How do we know whom to follow? Who do we listen to? In the world full of resources, right? You can get on your smartphone, your smart TV, your tablet, your, your radio, you know. You can even get a CD or a cassette if you want to, you know, go back in the day. And there's tons of resources, tons of Bible teachers that are still here or have gone to the Lord. And who do we listen to? It's all within reach. The world is full of messengers and messages. So where do we start? I love what Paul told Timothy. Those, uh, those two letters are really good because Timothy was going to deal with a lot and Paul was going away. He states this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears that they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. And I think first and foremost for the church is that we need to be unlike the world. We need to endure sound teaching that we, ah, oh man, I don't agree with that one point, but he makes really good points right here, you know, and, and you can have those kind of discussions and everything. That we need to seek out teachers that aren't tickling ears, that aren't, well, you know, it's kind of all gray. I'm like, no, it's black and white, man. Just make, you know, it's a sin. <laughs> Just call it what it is. We need those that are about studying the word and applying that word, word to the world around us. You know, like the men of Issachar, that they knew the times, they understood the times, and they knew what Israel ought to do. There were only 200 of them in the census, and yet they had words. They had understanding, and they were like, yeah, you need to go this way and do this thing because that way is going to hurt. They, they understood Now then we need to ask the question of where. Where is this teacher pointing us to? Paul states it like this to the Ephesian elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves 
will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And Paul is warning the leadership here of what is to come. That fierce wolves will come in and they will twist things to this end to draw people towards themselves and not to him. And therefore, the, the question in our minds needs to be, is this teacher, is this leader, is this preacher pointing me to Jesus or to himself? It's a great question as you look through resources. And, and you know, look, I mean, there's amazing Bible studies everywhere. But we need to be alert because John has warned us that though there are those out there about this deception. And I'll share with you one more uh, verse, one more passage in, in Matthew chapter 7, if you want to turn in your Bibles with me there. But Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 15 through 20. And Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, as I looked at this section and thought about church history for a minute, you can, you can look throughout church history and see the fruits of this or that movement. You can see if it's a real revival. You can see if this was a real movement. You can see if that's propped up propaganda of, oh, we're, you know, we're this or that or something. And I think the, the best thing to learn about history is that we should not think ourselves wiser than them, right? Oh, no, I, I can spot that, that heretic from a mile away. No, we should understand that ravenous wolves, ravenous wolves, Ravens that are wolves, that's a cool picture. But, <laughs> but ravenous wolves are here in the form of isms, religions, worldviews, and other ologies, or other doctrines. And therefore, we need to abide, <clears throat> abide and be equipped in Christ Jesus. You know, I've heard it said through the years that the, the best way to spot a fake ID is to study the real thing. You ever, you ever hear that? You know, as you study the real thing. You know, the best way to know falsehood isn't reading a book about it or listening to a podcast about it, though those are great resources. But the best thing is knowing the truth. Because right as Jesus says, knowing the truth sets us free. That as we abide in him, as we know the word... We have this, as, as Paul puts it, he states, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, right? It's worth investing in because it is profitable 
for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I mean, you got it all and, and then some, right? So let us abide in him. Let us be rooted in grace and truth. For that is alone found in Christ the Lord. Now let's have a closing word of prayer. Father God, we, we thank you for today. We thank you that you are a great, good God that saved the ungodly, that came for us at the, such a right time, that was appointed for Jesus to die once and for all, and that whoever comes to him can have eternal life. And that can, we can look forward to each and every day walking with you through the ups and downs. And that we can look forward to the day where you will wipe away every single tear. And everything compared to glory will fade away. And it is not comparable to what will happen. And what we hope in as we physically get to dwell with you, Lord. Lord, uh... Help us aim to please you throughout our day. Encourage us, equip us to go out and spread the good news because it is through Christ alone. Help us abide in you throughout moments of weakness, through temptation and darkness, that we would abide in you and let the word of Christ richly dwell in us and that we would clothe ourselves in kindness and patience and meekness and be about equipping and encouraging one another as the body of Christ. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.